Now entering Nerdist.com. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator of the Nerdist Writers Panel series. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, and let me know who you'd like to see on this series. I'm always looking for new ideas for TV show, movies, books, comics, anyone you like who writes things. Do me a favor, though, and check the archive to see if we've already had that person on whom you would like to hear from. Um, each and every Nerdist Writers Panel benefits 826LA, the national writing program for students. Uh, please check them out at 826LA.org. Uh, I am a television writer. I've written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, and I'm currently on the Netflix uh, DreamWorks show Puss in Boots. Uh, I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage production in the style of old-time radio, which is a weekly podcast here on the Nerdist Network. Hey, guys, one more thing. Uh, We're still doing this retreat in Orvieto, Italy, which I am teaching, a two-week workshop uh, whereby you will write a script, a TV script, a movie script. You can work on comic book stuff, whatever you want that I can help you write. We're going to spend two weeks writing in Italy, about 90 minutes north of Rome in this beautiful little town. Uh, There are not very many Americans there, so we're the worst ones there. Um, and it's, it's just the most fun you can have while actually getting work done. Um, about half the group last year came out with really excellent drafts of um, TV pilots and, and movie scripts. Uh, and I think this year will be even better. I think we have about six uh, people signed up, and we're looking for a couple more. Uh, you know, And I'm looking for some high-quality writers and humans uh, because you know we're all going to be hanging out for two weeks so i'd like some good people and if you listen to the nerdist writers panel then you are good people so come to italy uh come for a couple weeks write a script and you know you never know what'll happen one of the students uh who wrote a script is now in this year's atx pitch competition another one has had some interest from agents and stuff um it's it's pretty cool uh and and you know I know you guys can do this. You just have to put aside the couple weeks. Join us in Italy. Go to michelangeloscreenwriting.com. That's, you know, like the artist, Michelangelo. Screenwriting.com. Click on the Orvieto Retreat, Practical Film and TV Writing. We'll do some kind of basic stuff, but really it's a workshop. I treat it like a writer's room, and, you know, we all sit around and we work on each other's stuff, and it's collaborative and it's fun and like I said, let's get some good people there, uh, which I know that you are. MichelangeloScreenwriting.com. Come write in Italy. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Welcome, everybody, to the yeah. Improvisation and Television, Film, and oh, Animation Panel. Please give a rousing round of applause to my friends, the great actors, Mark Gagliardi, Hal Lublin, and Craig Kakowski. Hi. Hello. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Let's talk about improvisation. Um, before we begin, by round of applause for you gathered here, uh, how many of you are improvisers or actors or care to be? Excellent. That's awesome. Great. Uh, the first key, from what I'm told, to acting is listening. And I said, by round of applause, sir, not by hand. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never make it in this town. This town, Chicago. <laughs> um, 
Let's talk a little bit about uh, improvisation and your respective backgrounds in improvisation. Uh, starting with Craig, um, you know, we talk, we've talked a number of times this weekend about uh, how you are a pretty much a, a Second City legend. <laughs> That's usually been me who's brought that up, right? <laughs> uh, tell us about your, your background in improvisation uh, and in acting and the training you had. I've been improvising for about 25 years. Uh, that's a long-ass time. Uh, <laughs> I went to the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, and I was a theater major there, and they also have an improv group. And I joined that my junior year, and that's how I kind of got the bug. Uh, and afterwards, I moved to Chicago, because that was the place to study improv. Uh, I knew what Second City was. I had never heard of I.O. or Del Close when I moved here. I moved here in 1992, uh, and I just kind of fell in with uh, Improv Olympic and studied with Dell and Sharna Halpern. Spent 11 years here in Chicago. Uh, and then I also worked for the Second City while I was here. I did five reviews on the ETC and main stages. Uh, moved to LA about 11 years ago and I teach for the IO West there. I have taught for the Second City there. I've performed at UCB. Uh, but it's great to be back in Chicago because this is where my improv roots really are. And I'll be at I.O. on Monday night doing the Armando show. Oh, awesome. Uh, so I'll be uh, kind of catching up with some of my old improv buddies. <laughs> uh, Hal, what is your background as an improviser? What is your training as an actor and an improviser? Sure. Uh, I have been a comedy nerd since I was a kid. I was kind of raised on comedy. Um, and when I was in maybe junior high school, beginning of high school, was when the British version of Whose Line Is It Anyway was broadcast in the States. <laughs> so I started watching that and sort of became enamored with uh, that sort of short form game-based improv. So friends and I tried to do it in high school. Then when I went to college, I joined the improv troupe there. Um, and I went from, I performed in it a couple of times. And we went not only at the college, but we performed in like bars. We performed in a prison once. Um, <laughs> Great houses. Yeah. Great. Yeah. They're the they best can't leave. audience. They can't leave. Yeah. Yeah. So. They, you know, government mandated laughter. Contractually required kind. to enjoy your show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you all sign a contract when you go. Isn't to that prison. how it works? Uh huh. Um, I signed a prison contract. Uh, I directed the group one year, and then I moved out to Los Angeles after school, and I trained at Second City, Groundlings, uh, IO West. That's where I met uh, Mark, and mm -hmm. how I met Craig, um, and I've trained uh, a lot more on the corporate side like doing workshops and stuff like that. Um, can, you, can you explain what that means a little bit? I know all of you guys have done that kind of work. Corporate improv is maybe the purest form of improv. <laughs> 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 it mostly involves uh, getting uh, Joe Henderson's name in there in his terrible golf game. Yeah. <laughs> you mean uh, like, doing, like doing a corporate show? Right, yeah. or there, I mean, what you mean? There's two different versions, I guess. Like we've, I've done like corporate shows, yeah, where it's, it's yeah. you know, here, say this about the manager. Uh, but then I've also done, like, uh, as an uh, instructor, doing uh, a lot of corporations will hire improv coaches to do team building workshops. And mm -hmm. because a lot of the um, things that you use in improvisation are really useful um, mm -hmm. in the business world as far as just communication. Yeah, I, I would have actually trained people who were, uh, they were doing, they were doing their own training. It was actually rolled into training for uh, being LSAT prep tutors. And a lot of them weren't necessarily public speakers, and they didn't know how to deal with groups of people um, and control a room, but also 
be aware of the communication styles that different students have. So a lot of those tools in improvisation were helpful for them, not only getting out of their shell, but learning sort of the basics of communicating to a group of people. One thing you do learn about doing workshops for corporate people is how pre-programmed they are to be instantly suspicious of new ideas or innovation or supporting <laughs> supporting other people in, in their ideas, yeah. you know? And that's so intrinsic to what we do uh, in improv is just instant, unquestioning support of anybody else's idea. Yeah. So a lot of the team building stuff that I've done has been with that in mind, mm -hmm. particularly. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Mark, tell us about your background as an improviser and your acting training and all of that. What a surprising would. question. Um, no, I, uh, I, much like Hal, I first was introduced to, I started acting when I was a little kid, um, but I was introduced to improvisation uh, through the British version of uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? And I got enamored with the show and joined my, or started my uh, high school's uh, improv group. Uh, this would have been about 95. And, um, and then I went in the summer uh, when I was looking for colleges and sort of going around the country, I was looking for a good acting school, and um, one of them was DePaul. Uh, and uh, the, when I went to go look at DePaul, I went to the Second City and saw the show Citizen Gates, which was the one, it was right after Pinata Full of Bees, was that? Yes. Yeah, uh, which was, it was sort of a golden era of Second City, and it was right uh, around the time that uh, Craig was there. And I, uh, and I just fell in love with the way Second City played, and I thought that the sketch shows were completely intricate and cool and fun, and then they did the improv set at the end, and it was like watching magic. Uh, so I decided on DePaul, and um, at DePaul we studied improvisation, but it was really fundamental stuff. Uh, going back to, you guys familiar with uh, Spolin? Improvisation for the theater is uh, like the Bible that all of improvisation is based on. I'm not. Uh, it's a book, it was written in the 40s um, by Viola Spolin, uh, whose son, Paul Sills, wound up uh, mm -hmm. founding Second City in 1959. Not to sound like a big history nerd. <laughs> Um, you usually have to get them drunk to get history yeah, out of them. You have to give them, yeah, that's usually how it works. Um, and uh, so I, we studied these Spolin games, and it was really purest form of uh, improv as, a, uh, as an exercise. Uh, so, we, uh, so I did that in college, and at nights I would go and watch Second City and was just a huge fan. And I was, uh, I, I was telling uh, some other guys about this, I was a huge fan of Craig Kukowski. Uh, in those shows, and then when uh, he moved out to Los Angeles, and uh, I was, I started taking classes at Second City, and he actually coached Hal and I in an improv group that we were in, um, and there was, do you remember that game that we played? Yeah. There was, Craig, this, this sadistic person uh, <laughs> sitting down here, he ran Hal and I through this one improv drill that was the single toughest improv game I've ever played, where Craig sits us down, and he says, all right, here's what I want. I want you to do a scene. Then uh, I'm going to clap my hands. I want you to start a completely different scene. I'm going to do that six times. Then when I clap my hands, I want you to jump back to one of those other scenes and immediately know which scene you are in. And by the end of it, he's going. And Hal and I are running, scrambling mad on the stage. And by the time we were done, we're sweating and we're broken and our bodies and our minds hurt. And, but it was the most fun improv game uh, ever. But... Um, so when I moved to Los Angeles, I started training at Second City, uh, spent the summer working with Paul Sills, um, who founded Second City, uh, and that was a really uh, transformative summer. Now I work at Universal Studios uh, as an improviser in the theme park, um, and I also uh, work as their improv coach for all of the new improvisers for the improv shows. Um, before we get into some of the stuff that you guys are doing now and how your training translates, I do want to ask about uh, these games, uh, which 
with which I think a lot of us are familiar because of whose line is it anyway and shows right. like that. Um, you know, what what is the what purpose do they serve? What what are the teaching tools that are intrinsic to these improv games? I think oh. it's just about. Oh, no, no, go ahead. You, you go. I was going to say it, it's just about having a focus. I think, mm -hmm. and um, it's it if you're on stage just kind of flailing and you know. Uh, treading water, it's not going to be interesting to watch, but if you're focused on one specific thing, like um, in this scene, my job is to, you have to touch everything in the room, or uh, I've got to uh, begin every sentence by saying your name. Whatever the game is, and a lot of times, in a, in a short form improv set, the games are laid out. They're like, here is what the game is. In a long form improv set, you just kind of find them within the scene and Sub subconsciously and without speaking, everybody kind of agrees on them. Well, th those and some of those games, like has any, anybody here who's seen Who's Line Is It Anyway has likely seen a game called Sitting, Standing, Lying Down, at which which is a scene with three people. At any time, somebody has to be standing, somebody has to be sitting, somebody has to be lying down, and it's really entertaining to watch when it's when it's done right. It's really entertaining when it's done wrong, but ultimately, that's. That's really about paying attention to what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. If I'm so caught up in creating my own bit and not focusing on these guys, they're going to be switching positions, and I'm going to miss it. And and that that skill of being aware of and paying attention to and serving the other people in the scene is really important. And that that's you know a lot of those games I think emphasize different sort of pillars of of improvisation. Yeah. I, I a game might be a performance game, which is designed specifically to delight an audience, which usually is going to hinge on whatever a particular gimmick that you're going to emphasize in performance. Some games are just done or, or exercises uh, designed to help students build strengths, and it's basically in. And then some things work both in the classroom and in performance. Mm -hmm. uh, but for games you might or exercises you might do in class, you're just trying to isolate a muscle and get the student focusing on that one particular improv muscle because when you're doing a show, uh, there's no time to consciously think about the 40 things you need to be doing right in order to improvise <laughs> well. You need to have drilled these individual muscles enough that you're just kind of on autopilot and in the moment and listening, reacting mm -hmm. uh, in performance. Uh, and that's why it takes a few years to really be comfortable as an improviser because you have to go through that conscious period of like, I have to listen. <laughs> like, I don't know why that's <laughs> something that's like an inner monologue of must listen. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's tough for students sometimes because you have red flags going off in your head of like, oh, I asked a question. I'm not supposed to do that. Oh, I don't know who I am. I don't know who the other person is. And you start to think and you realize you're missing stuff as you're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's my hope in, in class, is to isolate these different improv muscles separately mm -hmm. so they can start just becoming autonomic processes. Can we, can we break that down a little bit? I mean, what are some of the muscles, some of the uh, attributes of a strong improviser, the things that we tend not to notice when we see guys like you improvising on stage? Rob. I think it's listening more than talking is a major one. I mean, listening in listening is the absolute a most important thing and following the follower was a phrase that um, that I always heard that I loved from the Spolin book and from Paul uh, Sills's work he said uh, we would begin and be like alright um, it was just a simple mirror game which is like acting 101 um, and you're mirroring a person that's like one person's the leader one's the follower now switch 
Now switch, 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 switch until the, by the end, he's like, just follow the follower. Um, everybody's following each other. And I don't know who was at the panel earlier, um, mm -hmm. but we, the, there was a young lady asked a question about improvisation, and I, somewhat as a joke, but actually for real said, just do what everyone else on stage is doing. Focus on what everyone else in the scene is focused on. Have your character's point of view on it. Well, that, that kind of uh, suggested a question to me, which is, you know, if everybody is following everybody else, who is creating the scene? How is the scene created? <laughs> Craig? <laughs> well, I, you know what? I, the last 25 years yeah. of my life has been a lie. What, <laughs> I can maybe, what have I been basing my life work on? Oh, no. I, I can maybe give an example. If, it, if you were at the show uh, on Friday night, mm -hmm. there was a scene. I was hell. You were there. Uh, there's a scene. I enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Whoever was there, clapping. Yeah, thanks. Oh, oh good. That'll make wow, this okay, a lot that, easier. That will make this a lot easier to uh, use examples. We, we did a scene that had no dialogue in it whatsoever, where I walked out to stage, and it, what was in my head was, oh, I'm, I'm at a locker taking my shirt off. That's all I know. I'm changing at a locker. And then I think you made a noise because we've played together enough that something in our bag of tricks is, if I'm out there, he'll probably start making sound effects and yeah. it will lead to something. And I was like, oh, it sounds like a ghost, so this place is haunted. And then, then there was something sort of sci-fi-ish, and it became, you know, I, I started with something, then it changed, then it changed again, and I was following what they were doing in terms of sounds as much as I was trying to come up with ideas that would add to that and sort of feed, feed it back in. So it's, it's, a, it's a continuous loop. Mm -hmm. We're all following one another, yeah. and whoever, whoever comes up with the next idea that sort of adds on top is the leader temporarily. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that speaks to another, I mean, we talked about listening, but pattern recognition is really important too. Mm -hmm. Understanding sort of the game of what's going on. How do we add to, you know, uh, w what is happening here and how can I add to it and, and, and build it up higher? Yeah, I find a lot of times I find myself asking and I, I playing with a, an, an improv group that knows each other and knows uh, what a scene, I think it's important to know what's missing. Um, like if, if we walk out on stage and what's missing from this scene, I don't know, okay, I, I, you came out and you said, mom, uh, come over here, great, we have a relationship now, now where are we? Great, now we know where we are, what are we doing? And it's all of those different elements that, that a good scene needs. Uh, and everybody knows what a scene needs, so everybody just kind of takes turns throwing in those details. But where does it start? It starts with an impulse. Does somebody has an impulse? Who knows what it means? Who knows where it comes from? Uh, I mean, mostly you were out alone in that scene because we just had a group scene. It ended. <laughs> you edited. The rest of us all just kind of went back to the back line. We kind of left you alone there for a minute. You did something being on stage alone. Mm -hmm. We reacted to it. You reacted to our reaction, and suddenly we had a scene. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was it's just l people just gradually nudging the scene along one little bit at a time till somewhere it all kind of clicks in as to what this means. And it's not judging or analyzing it as it happens mm -hmm. or being fearful and feeling like you need to turn it into a joke yeah. um, or destroy the reality <laughs> in order to produce an instant result in the audience. It's trusting that it's going to lead to payoffs down the line if we just kind of stay on track of where we are. I'd, I'd like to, to talk about um, fear for a moment, because what you're describing um, sounds very much like what we do in a writer's room. Um, and it sounds like what Ben Acker and I do together when we write together. And, and it really is. It begins with an impulse. Here's an idea. And then people are building on that. 
Um, but we are just doing it amongst ourselves. You guys are doing that in the moment in front of an audience. Um, what part does fear play in improvisation? One thing I was, uh, I just started a new class last week. I teach classes at the IOS in LA and they start up every seven weeks. So the first day of class, I have all the students go around just, and this is level four, so they've been studying improv for a while. Uh, I have them tell me like what their issues are right now, like what they're struggling with, what puts them in their head, what are they afraid of? so that I can help give them notes according to... Mm -hmm. And, what, and what, what kind of things do they bring up in there? They're thinking too much. <laughs> uh, they shut down. Uh, they're not good at initiating, uh, or they're not good at supporting other people's ideas. Uh, it runs the gamut. Mm -hmm. It's all some variation on I'm in my head. Uh, mm -hmm. But one girl was just telling me uh, of just like she is just shit her pants nervous like every time she gets out there she like she wasn't even sure like why she signed up for this level you know of, like she's just really scared and what I told her is like like I said I've been doing this for 25 years uh, I kind of miss that level of fear and adrenaline uh, because I have a basic comfort zone at this point I'm pretty comfortable up there nothing much can phase me and so I've eliminated the lows my performance, but I've also, in a sense, eliminated the <laughs> crazy highs from when I was younger and when I had so much adrenaline and nervousness going into a show. And so, actually, doing the Friday show, you know, because I, I'd never played with Amundsen, I think I maybe played with Janet once. We know each other well, but we don't improvise together regularly. There were mics, there was a big house, <laughs> like it was scary. And uh, I was able to kind of like tap into that nervousness oh, wow. and use it in a way. So uh, I think if you can use that adrenaline and turn it to good <laughs> rather than evil, then it's useful. I, I have to say on that, that when you came out and did the intro for that show, I mean, I've watched you improvise a pretty good amount. And I've never seen you come out that strong and be like, hey, everybody, what's going on? <laughs> like, and that's a great like, example. That His <laughs> intro, like, he bounced out and any, any fear or nervousness that he had got channeled outward. And it was, uh, you know, I mean, it was used really well. It's like, yeah. it's Tai Chi or, or Judo or... I'm not much of a hype man, normally. <laughs> but I you're like, great. Um, just on the topic of fear, um, I feel like the audience expects an improviser to be afraid. Um, the audience is somewhat afraid for an improviser. Mm -hmm. It's like watching a tightrope act. Yeah. Uh, so there is that energy in the air, uh, which kind of makes a, a, a room at the beginning of an improv set feel really cool and you know, there's sort of that palpable energy. Would you guys agree with that? I think it makes sense. Yeah, well, audiences are like predators. They can smell fear. Yeah. <laughs> so it's okay to be nervous and to be fearful, but you've got to have a placid exterior where it's like, this is great. I'm totally comfortable. Nothing's phasing me. And then the audience feels taken care of and they don't feel worried. Yeah. They don't want to feel worried for you. Uh, but when they see an improviser who's like trying too hard or just not in the moment or trying to force things uh, or palpably looking nervous, <laughs> you know, sweating, stuttering, freezing up, <laughs> then the audience kind of shuts down a, as a result. So you've got to fake confidence until it becomes real confidence. What are some, um, I'll, I'll call them aesthetic, aesthetic mistakes, you know, things that, that the audience could see that new improvisers may make, and what can they do to work through those? I, I think when somebody is not focused on their partner, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if he comes out first and is, and is clearly doing something that's fishing, and I come out because I have my own idea, and and I've I've allowed sort of the 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 nervousness to sort of creep in. I'll I'll come out and do something completely different, and the audience can see because uh, I mean in Mark's case, in a lot of people's case, what they're doing is very specific. It's not an amorphous task. He's he's not only coming out to make a strong choice because he had an idea, but it also is a cue for me or for Craig if we come on that he's giving us an offering to sort of start a scene with. And if I throw that away and go in my own direction, that's that's a jarring thing to watch. And mm-hmm. it's it's like seeing a, a a band where the drummer doesn't know how to keep time. It falls out of rhythm really, really fast. Yeah, I once saw a girl in an improv set. Um, she and she had been uh, she she was a fairly young improviser, uh, you know, maybe level one or two uh, at one of the schools. And she, a scene is beginning, and she actually said to the person she was on stage with, "Just shut up and let me say this." And then said, <laughs> and then said like her bit that she had in her brain. And for the rest of the show, I was like, I am not going to laugh at anything you do, because that made me very angry. And can I guess that the bit fell flat? Yeah, the bit completely fell flat, because the audience was like, no, we were watching that scene. Why'd you change the channel? <laughs> I once saw an improv show. It was a level one show uh, with a, a small group of young gentlemen. And uh, <laughs> two or three would start a scene, and the fourth would inevitably come in and go, what are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Real good. The, or the other one that, that kind of drives me crazy is, and cut. And somebody comes in and it's like, oh, we were making a movie the whole time. And you're like, oh, God. It's cheap. Yeah. Or uh, taking a mask off to reveal yourself someone else, which for some reason I thought was brilliant in college. And the first yeah. time I did it in a class, I was like, oh, this is really dumb. Because I've basically thrown everything away. Like I, for some reason, I thought it was hilarious to go, it's me, Hitler. Not funny. <laughs> not funny at all. Not, not just because Hitler was a madman, but like that idea of I just threw everything away. I'm not who I, who I was trying mm-hmm. to be in the purpose of the scene. That's, that's somebody because of nerves trying to take control. Yeah. Just because it prompts so many questions like how is Hitler still alive? Exactly. <laughs> Why so, is he <laughs> pretending to be my roommate? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how is he not aged? <laughs> How did he get this mask made? You know, <laughs> what happened to my real roommate? Or was there never that guy? Was it always Hitler? You know, in which case, if, like, is this such a long con? Of, like, I met Hitler in college. Are all people Hitlers? Are all people Hitlers? Are there clones? Yeah. So it's not the, that it's a bad move. It's just that it addresses so many sure. philosophical no, questions it, that there's no room to address. It asks more questions than it answers. That's the problem. These are the questions that go through every improviser's mind as he is setting a scene. Yeah. When did I meet Hitler? Yeah. Yeah. When should I reveal I'm Hitler? Right. Yeah. When do the you whole do time that? you're sitting there going, this is going to be so oh, good yeah. when I finally do I this. I can't wait. My big trick. Uh, I want to talk about uh, some practical applications mm-hmm. of your improvisation training. Um, you know, you guys are, are talented actors, as I've said, and uh, I've known you now for almost 10 years as actors, um, but I have never had to see you audition for things, uh, yeah. and I feel like that might be something worth talking about. Uh, you guys have auditioned for theater, for commercials, for television, for films. Um, how does your training come into play in auditions specifically? For me, it, it, it's about having a focus, and that's always been the whatever the game is. I always like to come from it, come at it from 
I want a specific thing to be focused on. So in an audition setting, I'll give myself a game. Um, like a, a, a popular uh, Spolin game is uh, the Beyond. Focus on something that either just happened or is about to happen. So I will, as a character, I'll give myself a secret, um, some, a place I'll know exactly where I'm coming from or where I'm going, and I'll spend the entire... Because everybody else that's gone in the room, you have to differentiate yourself, and you have to do something different than what everyone else is doing. And if everyone else is going in there and just saying these lines and, uh, and doing this thing that is exactly what's on the page, and I go in there and I'm thinking about, or I've got in the back of my mind something else that has just happened or is about to happen, then it's sort of an intangible thing that makes what I'm doing different. Uh, another one of those is uh, picking at the immediate environment is a favorite of mine. Like I'll have something in my pocket or, um, you know, if I had on a hoodie, I'll, I can, you know, just play with the strings on the hoodie and what looks like it might be just a nervous tick is uh, a just deliberate character choice. And then later in the room, hopefully they're going, is that the guy that was pulling on the strings on his thing? You know what I mean? Why couldn't he relax? Let's not give him the part. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, specificity is also something mm -hmm. really, really important, especially when you, sometimes you don't have a lot of time. I know voiceover, uh, sometimes you don't get a lot of time to look at copy before you go in. And you need to make a very specific choice um, and something that is strong and sort of have an awareness of what's going on, which you also have to do when you're improvising. If I don't, if I don't lay out something specific, no matter where the scene goes, I'm not really helping anything. And, and that, same, that same skill applies to, to the audition process. Sometimes making, even if it's not the choice that they had in mind when creating the role or putting together the sides, you'll still make an impression, which is really important when you're going up against the, maybe hundreds of other people. Specificity of choice is a specificity. Specificity of choice is a great observation, I think. And first of all, just improv, just comfort level. Just going into audition when I'm used to making up all my own dialogue to know of like, okay, all I all I have to memorize is these two pages. I can read it right off of the script. Of like, that's easy. Of like, everything scripted is easy when you've spent your yeah. entire life doing unscripted stuff. Uh, it also means you're open to happy accidents. Uh, if you blow a line, then you figure out how to make that work somehow. When you're auditioning, uh, you're usually reading with a casting director or an assistant. Sometimes they give you something. Sometimes they're just like, oh my God, you killed my daughter. You know, So you have to react to what is really there in front of you as opposed to an idealized version of the scene that you did in your own head. Uh, and I think as far as like making a choice, making choices that please yourself first, rather than trying to appeal to what you think they want. Uh, because it's something I tell my students, which is you'll never know what the audience wants. You don't know what the teacher wants. Uh, you've got to create scenes that are interesting and funny for yourself first. Get yourself interested in your own scene. Uh, if you're trying to appeal to some, and I'm sure writing works like this as well. Like you guys please yourself with your writing first and Absolutely. then it's translated into an audience that happens to enjoy it yeah. uh, as well. And I think as fans of anything, that's what we respond to is a specific voice. Mm -hmm. So for most auditions, you have no shot of getting this thing. <laughs> and especially you have no shot of getting it if you're trying to appeal to somebody else. Uh, go in there and make a choice that's interesting and fun for you, and if it happens to overlap with um, what 
what they how they envision the character, or maybe it's a whole new way of envisioning that character that they didn't expect. And so you may be able to book a part just by giving them something that was not on the page or in the original concept of the character yeah. at all. But that's only going to come from you making a choice that's interesting for yourself. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll ask sometimes. They'll give you sides and they'll say, they, we want you to do a take where you're giving us the dialogue straight and we want to take where you're improvising around it, uh, which is which I always like to do because that's your opportunity. Some people will lock up at that because they're like, I don't know how to add or maybe what, what parts of this writing are precious, what can I change? Um, but the truth is that's your opportunity to really show what you can do. And I've booked stuff where, where my partner and I both book it because I go in and I'm like, all right, uh, when we improvise around it together, I'm just going to take whatever she gives me and, and build off of that. And I'm going to make it about, like I'm going to let her sort of dictate what the relationship is and, and, and build off. And it creates like really fun moments. And that's that focusing on your partner thing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a second ago, uh, Craig mentioned um, your voice. And that's something that I've struggled with is the idea of what is, you know, what is your voice as your point of view as a performer. And with improvising, it's easier to come up with a point of view because your character has, a, you're, you're coming in and it's you and it's your point of view and the dialogue isn't written. I feel like uh, with voice and point of view, when you're dealing with a script, uh, it's something that I never really understood, but it clicked for me over the holidays. Um, I was watching, I'm a huge fan of A Christmas Carol, and I will watch every version of A Christmas Carol that I can get my hands on. I love that story, I think it's great, it's, it, it, it makes me very nostalgic, but I love that, and what clicked for me, I'd been thinking a lot about voice um, and point of view, and I realized that the role of Ebenezer Scrooge is a perfect example of that because it, the lines are the same. Every version of A Christmas Carol uses essentially the exact same script, but Albert Finney is completely different from George C. Scott, from uh, Michael Caine, from Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Bill, well, that's a different script as well. But it is. <laughs> Bill Murray's amazing. We all know this. Okay. Um, but, you and, know, and Michael Caine was in the Muppet version, right? Well, you yeah. know what I mean. <laughs> but he's essentially doing the same—he's uh, essentially doing the same dialogue. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and and every version of a Christmas Care, every version of Ebenezer Scrooge has a specific voice and a specific point of view, even though they're all saying the same lines. Yeah. Um, which is something I, I kind of wanted to talk about now. I mean, you guys have also worked in scripted television, films, theater, etc. Where is the room for improvisation there? How do you utilize your skills there? Which is kind of two different questions. I think those individual games, uh, the same thing that you'd use in an audition, those individual games really, for me, that's what I always go back to. There's a Spolin book that is called uh, Improvisation for the Lone Actor that you know you can focus on a beyond or a, an environment. That's, that sounds like the saddest indie film. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Improvisation for your studio apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I have a stage in there. It's just one chair and a lamp that's yeah. aimed at me. That movie definitely ends down. That yeah. ends with a suicide. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> asking, asking for a suggestion and no one answers. Yeah. I have a suggestion for where to tie off this noose. Um, I, I want to make sure we have questions uh, from you guys. Do you have questions? 
Yes, all right. Start to line up, and I'm, I'm going to ask these guys a couple more while you guys line up. It, it does depend on the project, what? though. I was going to say it does depend on the project. Some people want you to improvise more. Some people, it's very precious. But like, like Mark said, the, the, skills, the skills that make you a capable actor are also the skills that make you a capable improviser. They're not, they're not exclusive skill sets. So you're always using some part of your training and some part of your experience in everything that you do. Yeah, when I'm a guest star on a TV show, which happens all the time, uh, <laughs> um, I, I follow cues from the regular cast of actors. Yeah. Yeah. If they start improvising, then I'm like, oh, improv is cool here. You know? But I'm not going to start on take one, just like, let's put this aside. It's like, I think I got this. You know? What would Officer Kukowski say? <laughs> um, all right, I have some more questions, but let's let's make sure we get enough from you guys. I, you were talking about all the skills that the uh, improv can be applied to other aspects of you know regular acting and everything and corporate gigs. I kind of want to ask the opposite question. When does your improv skills you shouldn't apply your improv skills in uh, an acting situation or other situations? When should when, 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 when they're when, when when are they a detriment? I guess for lack of a better word. Well, <laughs> that was, the question was, when shouldn't you yeah, use your improv yes, skills? Yeah. That's a funny question. Yeah. <laughs> to diffuse tension? Uh, <laughs> or a bomb? <laughs> well, uh, it, it, it's weird because I am trained uh, to try to turn every moment into a funny moment. So, uh, and maybe there's scripts or shows that doesn't really call for that. Uh, I don't think I'm super bitty or jokey, um, but that's that's the angle that I'm always looking for is how to make something funnier. So I could see where that could fall flat. There are also <laughs> times if you're just talking to somebody in conversation and it's not improvisational, some times it's some, you building off of somebody else will make them feel like you're upstaging them because they're not a performer. They just want to like, oh, I have a funny story. And I want, I want some laughs out of it and some validation that it's a funny story, and then let's move on. Mm. And if you, <laughs> if you throw something out, then you will make them feel bad. Not necessarily because it's funnier, but because it's like, oh, do you always have to right. say something? Um, so you, you have to, you have to kind of use social cues. Yeah. Figure out when, when not People to use, use social cues. <laughs> and also, like, yeah, like uh, brainstorming and springboarding are very useful <laughs> improvisational tools, but. If you are the low man on the totem pole in the office and yeah. the bosses are riffing on something, you're like, oh, dude, what if this? And they're like, uh, we're trying to have a meeting over here. Pack up your desk. That's exactly what business is like. <laughs> bosses riffing, trying to have meetings. I don't know, I don't know how business works. Never been in an office, that guy. <laughs> Thank you. No. Thank you. Hi guys, uh, I love improv and I love you guys. Uh, if you guys, if do you have a preference between short form and long form, and if you do short form, what's your favorite game and what's the craziest audience suggestion that you get? <laughs> Sorry, dude. I, you know, I know we're trying to steer away from questions um, in improv, but I, you know, here we go. I prefer long form. Okay. It's can you really can you guys describe to us some different types of long form uh, for those who don't know? Well, uh, Whose Line is it anyway epitomizes short form. Like, mm -hmm. that's a great example of it. You know, they're games that are usually five minutes or less. They have a very particular gimmick or focus mm -hmm. uh, that the scene hinges on. Um, long form is pretty all-encompassing, but it usually means just doing longer scenes. 
Uh, the shows that I do regularly in LA, they kind of amount to like a 45 minute one act play almost and that they follow one group of characters for the whole thing. So it's usually just gonna be one storyline, uh, longer and more patient scenes with less of a idea of an instant payoff. That's what uh, it means yeah. to me. Thank you. Uh, I did short form on a TV show called uh, Trust Us With Your Life, which uh, was done by Dan Patterson, the creator of Whose Line. We shot it in England a couple years ago. Uh, if you saw it, then you were really paying close attention. Because <laughs> 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 it, was, it was off the air very quickly. But I was doing short form with Wayne Brady, Colin Mockery, Jonathan Mangum, Greg Proops and Brad Sherwood were also there, and those guys are real masters of short form improv. And I, I was originally trained in short form in college, or I actually I was not trained, <laughs> self-trained. <laughs> uh, and it had been so long since I had done those games that I really felt pressure playing with those guys who were real pros. And so my hat is off to anybody who can always deliver the goods in a two-minute format because I'm used to like in two minutes I might say one line <laughs> so, yeah. but it will be not, the perfect it's not gonna pay off uh, on short form particularly short form on TV hmm. uh, and one thing I noticed about uh, Colin and Wayne and particularly and uh, Jonathan is like how physical they were it's like as soon as the camera started you know <laughs> rolling of like their whole body is into it and so they're making it look visually interesting uh, for TV and their, their object work was super good as well. So I think to get good at short form, you've really got to be comfortable in your body, get, do, be great at doing object work and, and physicality. Yeah, I, just to throw in favorite game, short form game of mine was uh, um, Party Quirks. Just because... Yeah. I'm sorry, it was my what? Uh, party Quirks. Party Quirks. Oh, it's a, it's a somebody, game. Yeah, somebody plays a host, everybody else has a, an audience prescribed quirk or personality. You could be Superman, or it could be has one leg, and the other one is a chair, or something like that. <laughs> so quirky. I like it. I, yeah, it's fun because it is broad and silly, uh, and it's just as fun to be the guest as it is to be the host. Yeah, I like games where one person knows something that the other person doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's fun to be trying to figure out do the, and do the guessing. It's also fun because if you're the person who has all the knowledge. It's fun to, um, you don't want to, you know, give it out all at once. It's fun to kind of bat, bat your uh, opponent around and uh, <laughs> play like that. I'm a fan of uh, long-form improv, though. That's, that's, the, that's the game I like to play. Is, uh, is long but there are games built into long-form mm -hmm. improvising. It's just you have to find them as a team. I don't know about favorite audience suggestion. I can tell you my least favorites are uh, dildo and gynecologist are the kind of <laughs> all-encompassing all of like, we think this will be a funny suggestion mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And since, you know, funny is based on originality. And so if every audience everywhere thinks that dildo and gynecology would be funny, then that's not original. Uh, second City also used to do open their second act of their show, uh, Paradigm Lost, with an improv game. And they came out and they unfolded a banner that said, name an object. Uh, and then they would do uh, a, a, a mini long form. It was actually an NPR broadcast uh, about that object. And I think they got banana 30% of the time, blender 30% of the time, and spatula 20% of the time. So it's amazing of like, if you crowdsource your suggestions, it's always gonna result in spatula, blender, and banana. I will say, if you want to, if you are in an improv group and you want to not get suggestions, if there are certain suggestions you want to avoid, 
burn them in your description uh, because you can just uh, say, yeah. uh, I'd like a, um, a suggestion for a location, maybe a room in a house, like a bathroom. Or a gynecologist. Then you immediately eliminate bathroom <laughs> from the options. If you want an interesting set of suggestions, improvise in a prison. <laughs> oh, <Yes>. God. <laughs> you, dil, dildo would have been a joy to receive <laughs> from Shank. the crowd. Yeah. Oh, it was... Uh, yeah. Shank 30% of the time. Shiv 30% of the time. It was, and spatula 20% of the time. It, it was like, give me a relationship between uh, two people. All right. He's sucking his dick because he laid on cocaine payments. All right. I heard Adidas. Here we go. Pretty specific. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank, thank you for you. answering all those questions. You guys are great. Thank you. Sure. Thanks. That is a very selfish question. I recently had to direct in scripted material my improv group, so my friends. Um, how do you deal with, or how, what good directors, I guess, or people have told you kind of like politely, like don't, stop improvising, shut up, and read the material. Like, what, what, <laughs> what, have you any good or bad direction on that, or if any tips I would appreciate? <laughs> you know, I, as I said, I was a theater major, so I'm kind of trained to respect the script first, respect the words. Uh, I wouldn't dare, well, I do dare sometimes, but, <laughs> but 96% of the time we say exactly what mm -hmm. Acker and Blacker wrote for us yeah. and we're, everybody's all the better right. for it. Occasionally I will rephrase something just to make it more comfortable coming out of my mouth. Uh, there were a couple times last night in the tick, it was the first time we'd done that TikTok script, so I was like, I don't think this makes sense unless I, mm -hmm. I call him Trick Clock here because we have an established yep. Trick Clock. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, yeah, they should just do your words the way they wrote them. The way you wrote them, man. Don't be dicks. The thing to remember is this is a collaboration, you know, uh, and, and the actor's input is as valuable as the writer's, as valuable as the director's. You know, you're, you're working with these people for a reason. Um, and, I mean, Craig uh, has never, all, all three of these guys, and really all of our cast, has never added something to the script that didn't enhance the script. Uh, whether it's, you know, a full line, Craig had a brilliant improvisation in an, a, uh, an, an episode of Sparks Nevada that we did earlier this week, or last week, rather, on Earth Day. That broke me. That and broke I hate Mark. It that happens. Um, <laughs> but it was in character, and it was in the scene. Um, you know, we trust them to bring their best, and, and that's why we try to bring them our best. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. Uh, so I've been doing improv for a while here in Chicago. I've, been, I've studied with Craig a couple times in the past. Um, I remember, Phil. Indeed. <laughs> um, so my question is sort of, when you start to feel like things are blurring together a little bit, but you still want to progress your improv story, I guess is the best way to put it, do you have any advice for people who have been doing it for a while and are really looking to, to move forward and they just sort of feel like they're in You mean like event. within the confines of one specific scene or one specific like story? Or in, in your career. In, in your career, <laughs> yes. Yeah, or like, like, oh, the career of an improv group. Right, sort of the improviser's sort of path. Like when you start to get to that point where you've done like 16 shows in a, in a year, you've started experimenting with other forms, and you're mm. just sort of saying... What do I do next? Like, mm. what's the next step? Is there? Do you guys have any advice for when you hit that point? Anything that scares you mm -hmm. is good. Okay. Uh, and whether it's improv specific enough, or whether it's like, I'm gonna start a podcast, or like, I'm gonna write a screenplay. <laughs> you know, I think anything that scares you creatively, 
uh, is going to be a great challenge, and it's probably going to make you better at the skill sets you're already good at uh, when you go back and do them, when, when you stretched another muscle that you're not used to stretching. Mm -hmm. I think to stagnate as an artist is the most dangerous thing. You just get comfortable with, like, this is my thing, and this is what I do. Yeah. So you just got to keep challenging yourself. Um, and, you know, improv is like a marriage of like, you gotta, especially if you play with the same people all the time, like you gotta keep it fresh. You gotta surprise each other in the bedroom. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and also the frustrating thing about development and improv is it goes in plateaus of like, you hit a plateau and you stay there for a long ass time and then you dip a little bit. And those are the moments of frustration. Some people quit at those moments yeah. or some people, they're just like, ah, it's, it hurts too much for me to get to that next plateau. I don't know how to get there. I'm just going to kind of coast where I am. Right. But I think you discover suddenly that you wake up on the next plateau and you're like, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. That's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> like, now I'm better. I don't even know how I got better. And then you stay on that plateau for a long ass time. Then you dip. The good thing is, from my experience, there's an infinite amount of plateaus to ascend to. Mm -hmm. So I think it's pushing through those moments of frustration or stagnation uh, and working harder, scaring yourself, challenging yourself in some, in some way, and then you wake up on the next plateau. Okay. And also as a craft, I mean, it's a craft, and like any craft, uh, the more you learn and the more different places you pull new information from, mm -hmm. the, the more you'll grow at whatever the skill you're trying to develop is. So it might be good to, if you're playing at one theater exclusively, to go somewhere else and see what you learn from different styles of play. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't wind up adopting them fully, you'll, you'll pick things that will, that will sort of fill your tool belt more. Great. I like switching coaches, too. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if it's... it's well, you, you swing. I do, I swing. <laughs> but, I mean, as long as it's not an indelicate thing to do, I don't know what the circumstance is, but it's fun. If, you, if I've had groups before where we felt like we've plateaued and we've been like, hey, you know what would be uh, cool? Let's, uh, let's see if Kakowski can come in and drill us for a day. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, you, we should get Jackson. We've been, we worked with Kakowski six months ago. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Jackson teaches a totally different way. Let's get Jackson in here and see what he can do with us. I like coming from all different angles. Thanks, guys. That's great. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thank you. I was just wondering, how do you know when to end a scene? How long do you decide it should go for in, in a more freeform kind of thing? It... Uh, <laughs> specifically about the show that we did on Friday night yeah. here, you know, again, like it was an ensemble. We'd never played together as an ensemble. We had no idea how the audience was going to react. So I kind of like just became the de facto, you know, director before we were going up of like, let's just talk about a couple things. Uh, you know, how are we going to edit? Uh, are we going to do tag outs or cut twos or anything like that? Um, and the, the one thing I said of like, let's err on the side of shorter scenes tonight and uh, try to really punctuate the ends of, you know, if we get a big laugh, go out on that. So, you know, that, that was specifically, we're playing a convention crowd that maybe has, I, I don't know what their familiar, familiarity with us or with improv was going to be. So, you know, we wanted to leave each scene on a big laugh note, and I think we were pretty good about that. Um, in my other groups that I was talking about before, where we do long, long scenes, sometimes we have to push through what could be boring or stagnant mm -hmm. moments 
uh, and remain committed to what it is and fight through that <laughs> somehow. But those are guys I've played with for up to 20 years, so there's a lot of comfort and faith of like, okay, let's stick with this. It's going to be fine. I'm, I'm loath to call them tricks, but are there tricks or techniques that you can use to push through those scenes? Well, a good trick of the trade is if, you know, in improv, you generally avoid talking about the past, the future, and other people because that's mm -hmm. stuff that's off stage and not in the moment. So if you talk about the past, cut to the past. Let's see those characters in the past. If, you cut, if you're talking about the future, cut ahead to the future. If you're talking about another character, have that character walk on or, or make a phone call <laughs> or do a monologue from the sidelines. You know, show the audience. It's show, don't tell. So show the audience uh, what you're referring to. Anytime a scene exists to only reference another scene, that's not really a scene that's worth doing. So anything that's going to take the action into the present uh, is going to be helpful, I think. Um, just, just to, the more you improvise and the more you're paying attention when you're on the sideline to what's going on, you'll get a really strong sense, especially from a group of people, you know, where, when, when their scene is at the strongest point, which is usually a good time to edit it. But I've seen the, the bigger problem, there, there, there are always going to be times where you should have edited sooner or you should have let it go on longer. That's just sort of the nature of it. But the, the, the hardest thing is having somebody in the booth to pull lights who either is really engrossed in what's going on or is not paying attention enough. Um, I've seen, I'm sure Mark Evan Jackson would tell this story if he were here, but uh, his group, the 313, which is Josh Funk, Naima Funk, Keegan-Michael Key, Larry Joe Campbell, all these, uh, Andy Cobb, all these really talented improvisers, uh, they did a show with us at a theater in Santa Monica, and they, they had a great show. They play really fast. They have a lot of huge laughs. They, they uh, hit a point that was clearly the end of the show. Everybody there knew it. And the person who was, who was doing the lights was like this. <laughs> and they, they edited and then brought it back to another ending. They ended the show, I think, three or four times. Yeah. Everybody knew it was and over. And they all but went. And they eventually, yeah, they eventually said, they eventually said, we're the 313. Thank you very much. So they edited yeah. themselves. But y you know, after time, you sort of see... There's an arc to out. it. There's an arc to a scene. There's an arc to a long-form set. There's an arc to, yeah. And you can sense it. I feel like you can sense it. Uh, though I will say <laughs> on that, there's a lot of times, uh, it drives me crazy when uh, a scene gets edited too early. If people are jumping the gun too much, and Hal and I sit down and it's, um, thank God you met me here. Somebody comes in and wipes the scene just because they want to get on stage and play. Yeah. Um, fighting for stage time can be a real enemy. In improvisation, just trust that you're. Don't worry about being up there a lot. Worry about being connected when you are up there. Thank you. Thanks. The other um, thing I would say about when to edit scenes is that it's clear when you've gone on too long. See, <laughs> <laughs> this was just all that I'm doing right now is extraneous. So we should have cut that. <laughs> hey, I also had no. Craig as a teacher doing the IO intensive back in. I remember. Yeah. Uh, it's, the intensive is what caused me to move to Chicago, so thank you for that. From um, Hawaii? From Hawaii, yes. Uh, Great job, Craig. He was living in Hawaii. <laughs> wow. Uh, I guess my question deals strictly more with, uh, as film, I'm sorry, as improv is translated into film, uh, offstage, out in, um, set designs and everything like that. Like, how can we translate improv into film directly uh, while trying to keep a narrative through line? What are your guys' thoughts on that? Um, I, did, I did an episode of The League, 
and the league is an improvised show. And um, the way that that show worked is we were given our start point of the scene and our end point of the scene. They're like, here's what's gonna happen. Here's where you guys are at the beginning of this. Um, here's where I need you guys to be by the end of it. Um, your job, they, you, they'll like, if you know your objective, it's like, we're just given an objective. My objective is to drive this guy crazy by being an exact mirror of the way this guy usually acts, uh, to hold up a mirror to him. Sort of. So that was my game, and that's really all they said. They were like, you're gonna play a song, just make, here's a guitar, make up a song, you're gonna do this, and it's just, you, if you have an objective and you know where the scene's gonna end, that was the way that show worked anyway. Like, that whole scene was about this big on a piece of paper. Kirby Enthusiasm is another show that works that way. Yeah. It's basically like uh, Larry's going to talk a lot. He's going <laughs> to he's gonna get mad at you. Um, are, are you talking specifically about how do we translate, you know, what we see in long-form improv shows that we, that we like to... Essentially, yeah. ...on camera? But, I mean, I, I get what you're saying about, like, more about, like, putting the beats down instead mm -hmm. of, like, actually any part of the true script, per se. It is incredible the amount of comedies on TV that use improv extensively now and just the fact that there's a faith uh, that it works. It's worked, in, you know, Curb was huge, I think, in establishing that that can work and the Christopher Guest movies, certainly. Uh, and Veep writes via improv. So when I worked on Veep, they flew me to Baltimore two weeks ahead of shooting. I improvised with the cast for three hours. Um, they had a script, but they're like, let's throw away the script and let's just see what else happens. And then when I showed up to shoot it two weeks later, they had incorporated lines that I had improvised into the script. So that's similar to the process that I would go through at Second City of re-improvising scenes and re-improvising scenes until it's finally uh, scripted in the, the way that you want it to. Um, but it, as somebody who has a foot in both worlds, like for instance, you know, TJ and Dave, which is probably the hallmark of improv in Chicago right now, I think that's a product of the theater, you know? And the thing that's, uh, despite the fact that those guys are tremendous actors and I would love to see them in scripted material and on camera more and more, uh, to be there in the moment watching that show is something you really have to be there. And I, and I don't necessarily believe that long-form improv needs to be on TV because I do think it's a product of live theater. Cool. But I think more improvisers should be on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I think more people should use improv as a writing tool. I think people, there should be more moments of improv uh, within the framework of a scripted show. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thanks. Last question. Look Sandra. who it is. Hi, Hi Sandra. <laughs> Craig. Yes. How do you give good audition if the person reading to you sounds like, oh my god, my, you just killed my daughter. <laughs> like, how do you stay in the moment and, and work off that? That's my question. <laughs> Thank you, Sandra. Uh, it's very tough. <laughs> it's very tough. Um, you, again, it's about listening. Uh, and if they're giving you, you know, you still have to imagine that that's the character. It's not the auditor. Um, it's not the person who's judging me on my work. I'm talking to the other character <laughs> in the scene, and there's somebody who's just kind of mumbling their words. So maybe, you know, I try to 
get more eye contact out of them, even if they don't give it back to me, then I'm trying to connect with them. It all depends on what my character thinks or feels about their character. Um, but the second you become conscious of yourself of like, oh, I'm an actor and this audition isn't going well, I'll try to say this line with more force. <laughs> you know, That's all an intellectual process that's going to destroy you. You need to find a way of staying in character and staying in the moment and feeling what your character feels. And then when you need the words, they're right there in front of you. Uh, you know, at the majority of auditions in Hollywood, you, you're allowed to hold your script for it. You're not expected to be memorized for most things. You're just expected to be familiar with it. Uh, so the, the training from audition classes that I've heard is just think and feel the character's thoughts and feelings. When you need the words, look down at the page and say the words. <laughs> As they're written, they're gonna flow from that feeling somehow. But yeah, it's not easy. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, one more question before we wrap up. Um, we've, you guys have mentioned a lot of uh, contemporary comedy that you enjoy, uh, and we will all be looking all of those up. Um, but I'd like to ask that specifically. Uh, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What comedians are you enjoying? What improv groups are you enjoying? Uh, what films, television uh, should we all seek out uh, in, in comedy specifically these days? I think, um, I, I know it sounds biased, but I, having listened to a lot of stand-up, I think that Paul F. Tompkins is maybe the best stand-up working today, yeah. if not definitely top five. And um, if you haven't listened to his album, Laboring Under Delusions, it is, it is in one of my top three comedy albums of all time. And that's mm -hmm. not, that's, that is a hard list to crack, um, <laughs> but it's brilliant. And he has, a, he has an ease about him and and sort of an improvisational flow. He's very good at taking whatever's in front of him, and he does it often in our show as well, but he, he's a guy who's very aware of his environment and doesn't let things uh, slip past him in, in a really great way. So that's my biggest yeah. recommendation I could make. Yeah, I, right now, television-wise, I, uh, I love Community. Uh, man, am I a fan of that show. God, that show is, it's just, it's pitch perfect every episode. Um, now that Dan Harmon's back. Um, now, um, on stage, there are two shows in Los Angeles that I love. Um, opening Night, the musical. Uh, yeah, Opening Night's amazing. It's an improvised musical. Mark so McConville's it, here. Uh, it's a mix of, it's a, it's a real mix of skills. Uh, you've got incredible improvisers who are also, it's, all, it's like a mix of a long form and a short form because you have mm -hmm. songs thrown in. There's also a group called Shakespeare that is an all-female improvised Shakespeare show that... Yeah, it is as difficult as it sounds. And I know they work, they rehearse for like six months and then they spend the summer doing shows. Where is that? Uh, that's at Comedy Sports, but I know they're touring around. They're doing uh, the Ashland, Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Okay. Um, yeah. Fun. Those are my favorite comedy things. Craig? Right now. Uh, TV wise, I watch a lot more drama than comedy. <laughs> um, but my favorite shows are probably Veep, Community. Um, Bob's Burgers, I love. <laughs> and Bob's Burgers might be the funniest show on TV right now, just in terms of laughs per minute. Happy Endings was the biggest LPM. <laughs> oh, Happy Endings sure. show Fantastic. before that. Um, what else do I like? Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Do you like that? Brooklyn Nine Nine. I love. I don't watch that. I don't oh, watch that. You guys, good. if you don't watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, it's <laughs> hilarious. You should watch it. Uh, Improv-wise, if you're if you're a Chicagoan, you've never seen TJ and Dave. What's wrong with you? You need to get to a show yeah. right now. They're the best improv in the world, probably. Susan Messing. I would see anything that she's 
uh, and she does a regular show called Messing with a Friend. 3033, are they still around, improv people? They're incredible. So uh, any of those shows, you can't go wrong there. Is that Dave Pasquazi? Is that who the Dave, Dave is? Dave is the Dave of TJ and Dave. I used to see him uh, b back like nine years ago. He did a two-man show where it was him and Scott Adsit. They did Adsit and Pasquazi. Mm -hmm. um, in L.A. And I would go. We, we were rehearsing in a show at the time yeah. from 7 to 10. And then I would get in my car and rush over because that was when their show started. And it was two... They, they would do one show that was that was one 45-minute scene, and then the next time you saw them, it would be like 100 different scenes in 45 minutes. That was, I mean, either of those guys are great. Craig's group also, Desiriski, is incredible. It's Craig, oh, Rich Tallarico, and Bob Dassey, three brilliant guys on their own who together are they're fantastic to watch. Well, it's funny that all this time you thought I was Craig Bukowski because... Oh, Hitler! Hitler! Give a I'm round your Fuhrer! <laughs> round of applause for Mark Eckley, Artie, Hal Loveland, and Craig Kukowski. Thank you, C2E2. This has been a lovely weekend. Let's go home. Now leaving Nerdist.com.